All right, welcome to the Good People Podcast, where each episode we explore what it means to be good by talking to everyday heroes, philanthropists, altruists, and do-gooders. I'm Kelsey Timmerman, author of Where Am I Giving? A Global Adventure, exploring how to use your gifts and talents to make a difference. And as usual, I'm joined today by my friend, uh, Jay Mormon. Jay, how are you doing today? I'm good, Kelsey. Good intro. Yeah, I like oh. the live run. Right? Somebody- how about that? I even I even plugged the book. I am the worst at often kind of pointing a finger at things that I've done, right? And um, sometimes I think it could be like, oh, is it like over promoting or or bragging? Yeah. Well, and, you're you're trying to you you tell everybody all the time how humble you are, and I guess that fits right in. <laughs> <laughs> well, this kind of gets to something. Uh, you know, we were just talking about ways that you get engaged and, and volunteer and maybe on boards and you're kind of like, well, don't, don't tell people that I volunteer. I don't know about this. Say that I'm on the board. I mean, you're on the board of the facing project, which is the nonprofit that I'm totally going to brag about that I co-founded with my buddy JR and you are yep. one of the founding board members of that. But why is it that you feel like you, you don't want people to know that some of that stuff? I don't know. It's not so much that, and you bring this up all the time. If we could, if we bragged about our giving or our volunteering as much as we brag about our cars and our clothes, um, you know, the world would be a different place. And um, if you remember, I got that Habitat, or Karen, my wife got that Habitat for Humanity jacket with our donor level on it. And I thought, ugh. Um, I don't know. There's something culturally about that. And I guess it's when other people do it, sometimes it gets on my nerves because it seems more self-serving rather than here's fun things I'm involved with. You ought to be involved too. Or um, I don't know. There's some, there's something about uh, something about it sometimes that seems like a, uh, it's more about yourself than it is about the charity or the volunteering you're doing, but you call me out on it. I accept it. It's okay. (laughs) Uh, Yes. I, I am on the board of the facing project. I'll admit that Uh, I enjoy it very much. And I care about the, the mission of that group. Yeah, you know, the Facebook project, I feel like, is fairly easy to get people uh, engaged with and sharing their own stories uh, where, you know, it's a, we people pick a topic, communities pick a topic, and then we uh, recruit, work with local organizations to recruit people who are facing that topic and then match them up with writers and they collaborate to bring that story to life. Why, why do you think that it, it's so easy to get people involved to share their stories? Well, I think the I think the magic about the facing project, and probably true for a lot of organizations that have volunteers. I was at a uh, um, um, a volunteer organization meeting yesterday, not the facing project. See, here I go again. And um, you one know, of your the, many, one of your I, many volunteers. Right, you know, let, yeah. Let yeah. me polish your halo. <laughs> See, it's people okay. like you. Yeah. Um, but uh, around the table, it was about it, it's it's for cancer, uh, an organization that helps people um, manage the cancer journey. And um, uh, a lot of people around the table have faced it and talked about how they had dealt with or been involved with or had a family member face cancer, right? So uh, the Facing Project is really good because it gets volunteers um, to do all of the work. It also um, goes directly to folks that have faced, like you said, faced a specific um, adversity of some sort. and I think because it is something they've experienced or they have an interest in, they volunteer for, right? Because adversity causes you to want to act, I believe. And um, without going off on a whole path about the Western world truly doesn't face a whole lot of adversity. 
the adversity we do face is worldwide, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but we have less of it, I would say. But um, that seems to be the motivating factor, right? I mean, you've become involved with, um, because of Griffin, um, probably more things around autism and spectrum than you probably would have done otherwise, yeah. right? I, mean, I think sometimes that adversity, you can just want to put up walls and and just kind of look inward at your at the issue that you're facing and um but it really can be a, a really i think it's one of our greatest tools to actually help other people because other people have been where we have been and and when we show that we got through it and here's the resources we reach out to or just the fact that we got through it can can help give people hope and i think that adversity can be a great point of connection and and community and um, I mean, our second facing project ever was the facing autism project. We definitely saw that with right. uh, yeah. how many people we met through the course of that project that kind of became part of team Griffin. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And Annie shared her story and, and people still reach out to her today when they come contact with their story and they connect with her story. Cause it's usually a um, young mother of a son who's married to a doofus. Right. <laughs> maybe that's not maybe just that's too personal for me <laughs> and uh they relate to her story and she reaches out and there's so many people that annie's been able to help point in the direction and it's kind of been the direction that our path followed too and one of those places that we got pointed to through that project was um to a, a woman named belinda hughes um and she started an organization called interlock it's a nonprofit here in the Muncie community that, that works with schools and parents um, mm. that have you know, children that are on the spectrum. And it's a kind of a support group and access to resources um, and just people there to help kind of guide you, your journey through this, right? To better help love your child and right. help them. Yeah. Um, and but Belinda is kind of someone that adversity really has guided. I mean, she started Interlock, right? And then she started um, an ABA therapy organization called Behavior Associates. Uh, there's an I, B-A-I. I think, I don't know what the I stands for. I can't remember at the moment. But, you know, Griffin was one of the first um, kids to mm. go to therapy there. Great. And they were in this small kind of strip mall area and we, we would just be the only ones there for the day. We drop Griffin off and we come back and, and now they, they're like in several different buildings and, mm. and Belinda started this because her son Gabe was diagnosed with autism and, um, and as he's gotten older, she's just started to create things to help Gabe and those things help other people. And right, yeah, yeah. eight, now and looking at ways to uh, can, can there be some type of um, home or therapy for adults with autism and she's actually right. just sponsored uh, a facing autism adulthood project that we're getting kicked off here too but yeah. Um, yeah and you know I think this goes to a phrase that you can you know you can it's both sides of a coin I suppose but um, you know, a lot of uh, you and I have talked about this, but a lot of people say everything happens for a reason, right? And uh, I don't believe that personally. But the other side of that coin is when something happens, you better make it a reason, right? Um, so both sides work. Whatever you want to say is great. But it sounds like she's one of those people that said, I faced this and I'm going to do something about it. 
um, I've got to use this adversity to be, to, to make the world a better place. Right. Which is all about good people, right? This is where you and I found the root in all this. So I think that it's a very similar thing that kind of leads us to our guest. Yeah. It kind of helps people find purpose and, um, they help others, right? And right. today's yeah. guest, uh, Heidi Ganahl, and I'll spell her last name for everyone. It's G-A-N-A-H-L. She's definitely faced some um, extraordinary adversity in her life. And through her entrepreneurial spirit and leadership, she kind of picked herself back up. And she built a, um, a, a pet franchise industry called Camp Bow Wow that was worth more than $100 million dollars. Uh, and so, which is quite a business. She now devotes her time to empowering women, especially young women who are like graduating college through her brand, The She Factor. And she has a incubator for social entrepreneurship uh, organizations. And she just does an awfully lot of things that were kind of inspired from the adversity that she faced. So... Um, I really look forward to everyone hearing her conversation, what she has to say. So without further ado, Heidi Ganahl. Heidi Ganahl, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. I'm happy to be here. So you've done so much. It's kind of daunting even where to start. You have so many passion projects and successes and and challenges and triumphs that you've um, done. seen throughout your life, but I want to start off with, uh, tell me about your favorite pet. <laughs> my favorite pet? I've had so many. They're all my favorites, but right it's now- It's hard have, to choose just one. I know that's not fair. They'll be mad at me. Um, I actually have a hundred pound white lab right now named Henry, and he's adorable. He's such a sweet dog, He's but he's not a typical lab. He does not like to chase balls. He doesn't like water, and he thinks he's a lap dog at a hundred pounds, and he sheds like a crazy man, like everywhere. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Uh, right. We uh, um, got a, a pit bull mix mutt uh, a couple years back. And uh, just recently she tore both of her ACLs in her back <sighs> legs. And so we just had one surgery done and she was so depressed uh, about that. Now we have to have the other, and they're really expensive surgeries. And, um, you know, I wish that it was something we could just send her away to, to Camp Bow Wow, right? Which is the, <laughs> <laughs> that you started, which I'm really fascinated about how that came about. Was that inspired by a, so this Camp, so Camp Bow Wow ended up becoming uh, um, a passion project that ended up becoming a hundred million dollar business, right? Yes. It was so much fun building that business. Obviously there were ups and downs, but it started with my two dogs, Mick and Winnie, that were just big rescue dogs that I had. And my first husband and I would travel a lot. We were young and run into the mountains and stuff. And, um, none of our family and friends would watch them. They were always like, yeah, you guys travel too much. You know, don't ask me again. And so we started looking at kennels and were horrified by back then by what was out there. It was all the old chain link and concrete and just cold and outside that there's gotta be a better way. And about that time, one of the first doggy daycares in the country opened up right next to my dad's business. And we were just mesmerized. We thought it was the coolest concept ever. So we built the business plan for Camp Bow Wow and that's what inspired it. Wow. Is that, so is that something you'd ever thought about, you know, when you were a girl in high school? Is that ever something that you would imagine that you'd become an entrepreneur and start a business that would grow like that? No, no. I was going to be an advertising account executive. Um, you're probably too young to remember Allie McBeal and maybe your audience is. I remember Allie McBeal. 
<laughs> oh, good, good. I wanted to be Ally McBeal. That was my drive and my passion. And uh, I went to work for an ad agency in Southern California right after college. And I was like, yes, I made it. I'm a receptionist at a small ad agency in San Diego making no money. But I loved it. It was a great job. And I did that for a couple of years until I, I maxed out every credit card and, and went overboard trying to keep up with the Joneses out there. So I went back to Colorado with my tail between my legs and, and got into pharmaceutical sales until I ended up starting Camp Bow Wow. Yeah. So what were your dog's names again that you had that you were trying to kennel? Mick and Winnie. Mick was named, we, we sat at a restaurant at a bar actually, after, right after we adopted him and my husband was drinking Michelob and he said, oh, Mick, Mick, that's kind of a cool name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We uh, had to kennel our dog once. We don't go on that many vacations, unfortunately. But, <laughs> and we took her to this place out in the country and it felt like a dog prison a little bit, you know, and it was like broke my heart leaving her. So it's so great that there, obviously there was a need for that. Um, uh, so kind of walk me through your story from the time you got married to the time that Camp Bow Wow started and how that um, kind of um, expanded. Well, we wrote the business plan for Camp Bow Wow in uh, probably early 94. And by end, my first husband's uh, birthday was coming up that May and it was his 25th birthday. He was very adventurous. And my dad had run into an old family friend who was a United Airlines pilot who did air shows in an old 43 Stearman, like kind of like a Snoopy red, red Baron plane. And he said, Oh, you, Harv, you got to come down. I'm going to take you up on the plane. And my dad said, Oh, great. I want to bring by and it's his birthday coming up. He loves stuff like that. So they did, they surprised him. And the plane did all the stunts and they went to do a flyby over my parents so they could take some pictures and the plane crashed right into the ground and by and died. And so did Cliff. And my life changed pretty dramatically after that. Um, I couldn't get out of bed for a long time. What got me out of bed eventually were my two dogs. And obviously the, the business plan for Camp Bow got put on the back burner and I went through lots of ups and downs. I got a big insurance settlement, a million dollars. I ended up blowing that over a few years. I got remarried and quickly divorced uh, a couple of years after that. Um, it just, I was not in any way, shape or form ready to, to do that. But I had a beautiful daughter out of the deal, Tori, who's now 23 and the inspiration for my new business. And um, things were rough. And about five years after the crash, I had 80 grand left of the settlement. And I was back in pharmaceutical sales, a single mom. And my brother came to me and said, we got to find your passion again. We got to get you back in the game. What if, what if we start Camp Bow Wow? And I laughed. And I thought, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm going to take my last 80 grand and blow it on doggy daycare. He's like, yeah, <laughs> you are. And we did. <laughs> and it was great. Yeah. So I think you can look at your story and um, it can be almost oversimplified of like, um, that this thing happened and then it turned around. You, you found this new passion and calling and new outlook on life. And um, like, it was that simple, but it was sounded like it was years. Like there were years that it was not simple, right? No, it was a mess. Um, I mean, grief is messy and it, it was not linear at all. Um, and I had never had anything really bad happen to me in my life. I was very blessed. I mean, I didn't grow up with a lot of money, but I grew up with a lot of love and great parents that, you know, encouraged me. And I had never even lost a grandparent or an aunt and uncle or anything. And um, so to have, you know, 
this great love of mine ripped from me, just shook me to the core and really, you know, made me reexamine what was important to me, what I wanted to do with my life. And um, later on, I, t- I talk in a TEDx talk about the art of the comeback is to give back. And as I looked back at how I got through all of that, I had turned outward to help other people or other like the, the animals or the franchisees or, or my daughter and really focusing on giving back to other people is what got me a, a, you know, over the hump throughout those times. But it was rough. I was not in a good place for five or six years. And then when I started Camp Bow Wow, I just found my passion and I loved creating the business and I had so much fun with it. And it was just, it was my sweet spot. And I, I got back into my groove and found my passion. Thanks to my brother shaking me up a little bit. Mm. So if you could go back and talk to that, to 27 year old widow, single mom trying to make ends meet who was just, you know, just received the settlement, like what advice would you give her now having experiences you've had? Goodness, that's hard because I wouldn't be where I am if I hadn't made all those mistakes. And I, I have such an appreciation now for, you know, how quickly life can go to pieces and how to appreciate every day with the people I love. And I appreciate, um, I think the money side of things were really complicated and difficult too. And after you blow a million dollars, when you go to build a business, you're much more conscientious about how you spend your money, what you invest in, how you appreciate the, uh, when you sell the business you know, that money and how you invest it and how you do things differently. So I have a much different take on that and giving back and, you know, um, investing in, in a better future for my kids and for protecting the American dream, which is really important to me now. Yeah. And I think if I, um, you know, a million dollars, let alone the larger sum that you ended up, you know, working towards, um, I feel like it would just fund all of my, I have a lot of ideas, you know, I have a lot of ideas and I feel like I would just fund all of my, all of my ideas, you know, not all my ideas are worth funding. I might think it's great, but then you start sharing it with other people. And, um, you know, so, so what advice do you give to, to someone who um, is trying to sift through those ideas of which ones that they should follow and, and fund and put their time and energy behind? Well, I think the essence of being a successful entrepreneur is solving a problem for people. I mean, really, if you're solving a problem in a way that's unique and different and effective for people, it usually works out pretty well. If you're solving an egotistical need to start a business or do something because it's fun or cool, it usually doesn't work out well. And so I think, you know, baby steps testing your product or service, going out there, talking to people, giving it a little try, you know, doing some focus groups, you know, trying it on a smaller scale and making sure it works that way before you go big is probably the best advice I have. And it's, it goes against everything I did. I have to say, I mean, I maxed out every credit card. I grew way before I should have. I opened locations before I should have. I franchised early on. And, you know, part of that is the risk and your belief in your idea. If it keeps you up at night and you want to spend every waking moment thinking about it, working on it, you know, investing in it, that's probably a good sign that you're on the right track. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like, no, how could anyone succeed without failing, right? Yeah. Like, you know, so as much as we could say, well, here's step by step how you could do it. People are still have to follow on their own face uh, to, to learn those lessons, I'm sure. That's so true. I mean, every day is an adventure when you're an entrepreneur. And even with this new business that I've started, with all the experience I have, uh, every day challenges come up. 
that I have to really dig dig deep and think about, you know, what's going to happen? What's the best uh, way to deal with this? How do I support my team in this effort? So the challenges are just a little bit bigger and more, more um, uh, interesting now with the experience that I have. And I have, I put a lot more thought into outcomes and, the people involved than I did early on with Camp Bawa when I was just running and gunning and, you know, going for it. Yeah. I mean, you had a lot of family and friends involved. Um, and I think anytime anyone starts with, whether it's a social, social enterprise or a business, like that's kind of, I mean, I see so many people do that. And in fact, I started a nonprofit and a lot of my Jay, Jay, who's, you know, joins us on this podcast a lot is uh the you know the chairman of the of the board of of you know of that nonprofit uh so give us some words of wisdom about uh how to incorporate friends or family or just absolutely why you should not incorporate friends and family into this kind of thing Kelsey I'm the worst person to give that advice right now I don't follow <laughs> any of it I go out and speak and talk about how difficult it was to have so many family members and good friends working with me at one point I think in the 2007 range, I had 40 people on the corporate team and 10 of them were family members. And I spent so much time keeping my family members from either killing them each other or killing me or, you know, killing the business that I, I needed to do something different. So um, as I shifted a focus away from having as many family members and friends in the business, I was like, yeah, don't do that. And now with starting my new business, my daughter is joining me as a, you know, as a right-hand gal, and so are some of my dear friends. But I think I know more now about how to um, create expectations up front and how to walk tiptoe slowly into those relationships and be very careful about you know, navigating that. And I didn't know that early on, and I wouldn't do anything differently, but it was yeah. certainly a challenge. And you make different decisions about your business when you have family members involved. So the, the new business is She Factor? It is. So what is She Factor? What is the work of She Factor? So She Factor came out of my oldest daughter graduating from college from University of Oregon a couple of years ago. And I remember her, you know, getting ready to graduate. And she's like, well, now what do I do? And she was kind of kidding, kind of not. Like, where do yeah. I live? What kind of job do I want to do? What kind of um, company do I want to work for? You know, how am I going to find time to work out and have a boyfriend and all these things? And so I started looking at tools I had used when I built Camp Bow Wow because I had a very young leadership team. And I brought in some uh, assessment tools that I used, kind of like Strength Finders, Emergenetics, yeah. Disc. And then I brought in gamification, which we used at Camp Bow Wow building our teams. And I tried it out with her and she really liked it. And so I tried it with some other young women and they liked it. So I created a book, an app, and live chapters, we call them squads, that all work together to help support young women when they're just launching their lives out of college. Yeah, I mean, that's just uh, such, uh, you know, I think the quarter life crisis is real. I certainly went through that. You know, I graduated with a degree in anthropology, and I put it to use as a scuba instructor in <laughs> Key West, Florida, and I just started to travel in places, and I was completely happy. Like, I loved it, and I wouldn't change it, but, like, society kind of has this narrative that um, we're supposed to be on, and I think that those pressures are probably even greater for young women than than men so how how do you like what advice do you give to those who are graduating or, or stepping off to the workforce or out of school for the first time in their lives 
Yeah. I mean, the book is filled with advice to my 20 year old self, like what I would do differently or things to look, you know, out for as you're navigating things in all areas of your life, not just work. And I think the best advice I can, I can articulate for young women is it is a special moment in time for women right now. Like regardless of how you feel politically or where you are on any side, women are, have a voice. They have an opportunity to be really bold and brave and push back on societal expectations and, you know, your parents and what they expect and really create an authentic life that's meaningful and joyful for them. And what I mean by that is, you know, choosing what path they want to go on. And if you were happy as a scuba diver, then stick with it. It's so hard to find happiness in life. If that makes you happy, go for it. I want to be happy forever. I cannot live on an yeah, island forever. Like I had the little when your car broke down and you had bills to pay, or you know. Um, so yeah, and there's different stages of your life, and and I think to be really forgiving and playful with life, be forgiving with yourself, in that you can try a lot of things and fail, and you don't have to have it all figured out when you're 23 years old, but also to be really playful and experimental and go out and try different things, and don't be afraid to ask the CEO of your favorite company or brand to go out to coffee or don't be afraid to, you know, take an internship, a free internship for two weeks at a company just to test the waters and see what a job is like. And, you know, just really take your time. Don't be afraid to fail and be playful about it. Not so serious. <laughs> yeah. At each graduation season, I always think like you start to see the graduation speeches and I always think if I were to give one of those, what would I say? And it, ch- it changes a little bit every year, but the last couple of years I've been stuck on the idea of, I just want to tell students, like the, the governor of Indiana gave a speech at one of the, one of the commencements. I think it was at Ball State. I'm, I live in Muncie, Indiana. It's where Ball State University yeah. is. And he was trying to encourage people to stay in Indiana, which is, which is great. I want people to be in Indiana, right? We need people in Indiana. But like, I keep coming back to this idea that, that students need to leave. They need to leave and then choose to come back. They need to leave from their comfortable surroundings and have experiences it sounds like to you like i don't know if you did you grow up in san diego or did you move to san diego no i ended up moving i grew up in orange county until i was 12 and then my parents plucked us out of orange county and put us in monument colorado this tiny little town and next to the air force academy but i was drawn to california i went back there back and forth several times to manhattan beach to orange county to san diego um and i i went to san diego and i discovered that i did really love Colorado, but I went back and forth so much that mm. I just accepted that both parts have a special place in my heart. And I started at SMU actually in Texas for my first okay. year of college. Wow. And I love Texas. I love everywhere I've been. <laughs> different, you know, there's different reasons to live in different places. And right now with my little kids, it's better for me to be in Colorado. Yeah. Yes. So what age are your kids now? So Tori's 23. And then I have a nine-year-old and twins that are seven. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, and so adding another one to that mix. I don't know. How do you, how do you have time to do and explore all these ideas and, and then, you know, uh, go to the softball games? Because I struggle with all that, you know. It's, do you have, like, just an amazing uh, team or organizational strategy or what's the secret? I want to know. There is no secret. It's a hot mess oh. some days. <laughs> But it's fun. Every day is an adventure. And I, I tell people some days I'm a great CEO and other days I'm a horrible CEO and I'm a great mom. And other days yeah. I'm a terrible wife and some days I'm a great wife. And you just have to kind of ebb and flow. But I wouldn't have it any other way. I think I drive my poor mom nuts because she's very like 
why didn't you get an eight to five job? Why, you know, why you got to compartmentalize. Whereas my dad's more creative and out of the box mm. and I followed his path. And I just think life is an adventure. And I think it comes to, from my experience with losing buy-in early on, like you get one shot at this and you know, fit as much as you can into it. And that's to the detriment of some things like the laundry sometimes, but it's great. It's so fun. And I do have a great team of people around me and I'm not shy about investing in getting myself support or help when I need to. Yeah. I mean, you seem to have, if you always had this kind of optimistic outlook. For the most part, yes. I was always a go-getter as a kid and I grew up with people around me that just, said, go get it, go, go out there, conquer life, do what you got to do. And my parents got married when they were 18 and 20 and they didn't get a college degree. And they, they were very strong proponents of education and and making sure that you got a good, you know, solid education before you really went out and tried to knock it out now out of the park. Um, So now I'm very passionate about education. In fact, I think it's the key to keeping the American dream alive. And it's why I'm on all the boards I'm on and why I ran for office and, I, I think it's really an important part of the American dream and making sure that, you know, we can go out and live and do whatever we want to even babysit dogs for a day, you know, to make money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seems like, you know, your organizations focus on kids and, and women, right. That's kind of where you're pouring a lot of your efforts. Um, no offense to the guys. I have a son and a husband. I love them. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm not offended at all. Uh, I think we have, a, you know, the years, about 10 years ago, there was this movement, especially in kind of aid and development world of, of the girl effect. Like the best way to lift people out of poverty is to educate and employ women. And I mean, all the research shows that women reinvest more money into, uh, into their families. Um, and it just makes the makes a difference so I think it's time I think it's time for women to kind of lead the way because the guys keep on driving the bus into the ditch a little bit and we have a, we, the girl in fact I think we need to have a, a nonprofit movement called the guy the guy problem right like what's wrong with the, all these dudes out there that, that we keep acting like this but um, the dudes in the ditch that's what we could call it dudes in the ditch hey are we are we on to something <laughs> So once you uh, have some success financially and quite a bit, does that change how you feel about wanting to make a difference or, or how you give back or change your outlook? Uh, I think it drives it even harder. I think um, I feel so blessed that I was able to live the American dream and sell my company and I want to pay it forward. And I want to make sure that I invest my money um, in a way that, you know, keeps that opportunity alive for my kids and other kids. And, and so I have to be careful about giving too much, honestly. Um, and I've learned that, um, my passion for entrepreneurship and giving back can be combined in what what I'm sure you call social entrepreneurship. We can create solutions to problems where you can make money, but you can also give back and, and do really cool things for society. And so that's why I started the fight back foundation, my little charity, Um, to incubate people who have great ideas to help kids in Colorado with social issues like teen suicide and sexual assaults and child abuse. And I think entrepreneurs are some of the best people in the world to solve these problems. So that's one thing I'm really passionate about. So when you're evaluating these um, um, causes to support these uh, entrepreneurs, 
what are you looking for? What questions do you ask them? Or what, how do you decide to support someone or some organization and not another? So we had, uh, you know, a hundred applications last year for the incubator and the incubator is a three day boot camp, And then we do a shark tank style competition and we give grants to the top three, $30,000 in grants. And, and so um, weeding those hundred out, a couple things were really important. One was that they had a sustainable product or service that it wasn't just asking for grant money. Yep. Uh, Cause that's getting harder and harder to do. Yeah. And the other thing was, um, that they were really in tune with um, lifting people up and helping people up, giving them a hand up instead of just a handout. And that's mm -hmm. important to me too. It's, it's the, uh, the old saying, you know, teach a man how to fish and, you know, it works a lot better than giving yeah. him a fish. And um, so those are the two themes. And we, one of the winners of the award is, is Hope 40. And she created a, an organization called Foster Together, and it's so cool. It's finding neighbors for foster families that will just pitch in every once in a while. So you don't have to actually, if you don't have time to foster a child, mm -hmm. that's fine. But there's a foster family in your neighborhood, we know there is, that you can bring a dinner to once a week or drive to soccer mm -hmm. practice. So when I started Fight Back Foundation, it was really important that I found a sustainable model for people that could um, you know, have a product or service that would keep it going so that we would invest the money, but we knew they had a pretty good shot of making it and really making a difference for kids and kids' social issues and making sure that uh, we were paying attention to that and that it didn't just have to be a typical nonprofit solution where they get grants and, and uh, you know, start another government agency. It's really about being innovative and thinking outside of the box and figuring out how to solve some of these solutions um, from an entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah. Are there uh, books or kind of thought leaders that kind of help shape your, your um, way to do this? There's a great entrepreneur named Brad Feld here in Boulder. Um, he started the Foundry Group and he's so involved in the community. He, he wrote a book, I think it's called Startup Communities. And um, I think I learned a lot from Brad um, about how to do this. And then I'm also part of an incubator for women called Merge Lane. Uh, Sue Haubronner and Elizabeth Krause are fantastic. And they um, really focus on women's startups, but they have kind of the same passion about around social entrepreneurship. And so they've been, uh, you know, huge. I'm a huge admirer of what they do. So I've, I'm following some other great people's leads in how I approach this. Yeah. So it sounds like you've been on quite a few boards as well. How do you decide what board to be on and how, how can one be a good board member? Well, I think following your passion is number one. Like, what are you passionate about? Obviously, mine focus a lot on education and kids um, and entrepreneurship. Um, but I think finding your passion and then finding an organization that really has a proven track record of being effective because you don't want to put a bunch of your time and talent and treasure into um, you know, a, a company or a nonprofit that spins its wheels or isn't doing the right things to keep up with how to make change today. And it's evolving very quickly. So you want a really cutting edge approach. You, you want something that you're passionate about and you want something where you're going to, you know, play a big part. You're going to have a voice and you're going to make a difference. And also working with people that align with your values and your mission yeah. around life and, and how you approach life and making sure that that's a good fit too. Yeah. So do you like set up like multiple meetings with different people on the board, other people, like when you're evaluating all of that? Yeah. It usually starts with me um, 
either donating or getting involved, going to an event or getting familiar with an organization and really loving their mission and, and falling in love with what they do. And then figuring out, um, you know, how I can start to contribute. And then it usually just works that if you contribute, you put your hand up, you start helping out and you love their mission, then you're going to be more engaged and you're going to eventually be asked to be on the board. (laughs) (laughs) One example is um, Job Creators Network, which is um, Bernie Marcus, the founder of Home Depot, started it a while back. And it's an incredible nonprofit. They're doing so many cool things for small business owners and entrepreneurs around the country to educate their employees on um, policy and how to speak up and have a, a voice as an entrepreneur or a small business owner and, and talk about what's important to helping your business grow because job creators are really important in this country and important to the American dream and keeping opportunity alive. And we have to talk more about that. What does it look like? How does it, how does it feel to support a small business owner so that they can create more jobs and, and contribute more to the economy? Cause to your point, you know, one of the things we do for women and young people is give them jobs that they love and opportunities to start their own businesses. And we've got to really keep that alive and growing. Yeah. I've seen this in like aid and development in terms of there's an organization called living goods uh, that kind of took, I don't know if you've heard of them before, but they kind of took like the Amway model and like put it in like villages in like Uganda where they educate like uh, someone to be like their local, uh, healthcare officer and they have these healthcare products and they go from village to village educating and selling these products. So, you know, it seems like um, a lot of organizations are including a lot more kind of uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism. That's, I don't know if that's a word I can't, I can't even say that word. Let's come up with a different <laughs> word for entrepreneur. I have so much trouble saying it. I know. Um, but you know, kind of empowering oh, people through business to yeah. make a difference. Yeah. So, um, oh, I think it's fascinating your, your move to, like you started to get more um, get involved in more activism. And then you, and I see some of my friends doing this now. I don't know, it's just the stage that we're at in our lives that we, you know, we start to see outside of ourselves and we get engaged as volunteers on the ground. All of a sudden you're on a board or all of a sudden you're running an organization and, and you're kind of in activism. Uh, but then this shift to, politics um what what kind of triggered that because I, I feel like that so many people my friends now are like running for office having been on this similar journey i think you realize as you build a business as you grow a family how important politics is and policy is to our lives and i never thought i'd be a policy wonk but i'm becoming more and more passionate about you know um making sure that government is doing what government's supposed to do and making sure that we, the people, are an educated citizenry and speaking up and having a voice and participating in the process. I mean, the founders of this country it came up with a magical, magical formula to create innovation and to um, drive uh, you know, economic success and help lift people up. People from all over the world want to come here. And it's really important to keep that dream alive, we have to stay engaged and involved no matter which side you're on because the best solutions come out of collaboration and working together, you know, from both sides of the political fence and, and figuring out how to navigate society today from both perspectives. It can't be one side or the other. It has to be people working together. And there are so few people willing to put their hand up and getting engaged and involved in the political fray 
I think you're right. We're seeing more of it, but it's tough. I mean, it is not for the faint at heart and you wake up and you have to look at social media and see what people say about you or, you know, what the press is saying, or, you know, if you slip up and say the wrong thing or wear the wrong thing, or, you know, it's just a very slippery slope you walk on when you get involved, but we have to, we have to stay engaged and we have to protect this, this grand experiment that the founders started a couple hundred years ago. So what, what did you run for? I ran for the Board of Regents. We're one of only four states that elects our Board of Regents. So that's like the Board of Directors for the whole university system in Colorado, which is about a $5 billion budget. And it contributes, CU contributes about $12 billion to the Colorado economy. And it was kind of this perfect mix of my passion for politics, my passion for education, and my passion for CU because I'm a huge Buffs fan. So um, I decided to run in 2016 for the at-large position, which is statewide. And could I have picked a crazier year to run for office? Oh, my gosh. No, you could not have. Well, maybe 2020. I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) Thank goodness I'm not up till 2022. We have a six-year term. So I'm I'm out of the fray for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I think about, I, I wish there was like a good person equation that you give so much of your money to these types of organizations and uh, local and global, and you volunteer this much of your time. And I also think like the, the politics pieces is, is part of that, or the, the engagement in our democracy or, or, or government in, in some way, acts of citizenship, right? Um, so it sounds like you've got that. Do you have like a, have you ever thought like, what is, what is your good person equation like what falls in that mix of of how what percent you like to give or what type of um acts of civic engagement you like to participate in have you ever come up with a here's what i try to do or does it just kind of happen by itself that's a really good idea to come up with some formula like that but i think it's different for every person whether it's your time your talent or your treasure it's going to be one of those things that you're going to give back or or you know provide provide back to the world. And um, I think that it ebbs and flows based on what's going on with your life and your kids and your job. But if you find something that you're really passionate about, it's, it's not work, it's fun. And it's part of, it's just, it's almost required. It's, it's, you're driven to do it. And I think part of it for me is because I have been so blessed and I feel like, you know, I, I, got to do this amazing thing and start this business and sell it. And, and now it's my responsibility to make sure that I secure that opportunity for other generations. Um, and so that's just this, it's this mission I have. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. That's a great place to wrap up. Where can people find you and your work online? Well, I'm all over online. Now I, it feels like that some days, <laughs> some days not, but uh, um, it's HeidiGanal.com is my personal website and information. And then the She Factor is theshefactor.com. And um, I do a lot of speaking and engaging around the country and would love to have conversations with folks that are interested in what I'm doing. And then my foundation is Fight Back Foundation, which is fightback.foundation. Great. Well, you have so much going on. And Heidi Ganal, you're definitely good people. Thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me and keep doing this. I think telling stories about people doing good things is really, really important. You're doing great work. So, Jay, that was Heidi. What do you think? Oh, wow. She is uh, she is really fascinating. Uh, uh, you know, I wasn't able to attend the interview, as, as everybody knows. Um, 
but it started in one place, went to another place, and then went to another place I didn't expect. And uh, she is she has really taken her life and uh, uh, grabbed grabbed hold of it and, and moved forward. Uh, it was pretty inspiring to hear. Yeah, she does so many things. And one thing that jumps out, I think this is kind of a common thread through a lot of our interviews and shows, like the she never imagined that she would be where she is today. You know, 10, 10, 10, 20 years ago, she wouldn't have thought she'd be where she's at. She didn't think she was going to start, um, you know, uh, camp bow wow. Um, she could have never imagined the tragedy that her, that she faced when her husband passed away. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have really have a heart for those students this time of year that are graduating from college. And as much as we like to say, you know, you, you figure it out and go your, you know, you, you just, you'll figure out your own path. And there's so much pressure yeah. from our friends and family and from society to actually be on a certain path. And uh, I think she learned a lot on hers. And I think it's really neat now that through like she factor, the, you know, it's kind of a, uh, it was like a, a kind of a organization and community that helps young women kind of figure that path out for themselves and yeah, make that start. Yeah. And failure. She certainly did, oh, go ahead. She, she certainly did break some convention. Um, and some of that was broken for her, but um, she really went in, in her twenties, did things differently than probably the, the textbook would tell you to go. And, you know, failure kind of drove that as mm-hmm. well. And I feel like she factor is trying to help others kind of learn from, her mistakes, but obviously she valued those mistakes in, in many ways. So we, we can only insulate people f- so much from falling on your face because you have to do that and you have to learn from those mistakes. Yeah. 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 So, so good. So yeah, it, you know, from her going from, uh, uh, you know, camp, camp Bow Wow, which, which she has uh, since sold. Um, and then, uh, you know, even even in that organization, they had Bow Wow Buddies, which is, you know, the charitable arm of the of the company that helps pay for uh, surgeries and, you know, the other things that uh, happen to animals and people can't always afford to pay for, which you and I, Kelsey, have dealt with <laughs> ourselves. Yeah. I, wish. I was hoping by mentioning my dog's health issues that maybe she would say, hey, yeah. actually, here's a grant for your dog's yeah, life. That, that fell flat. You got no money. Um and then, uh, and then as she, you know, sold her business and then she went to something completely different with she factor. So, um, she really, I mean, gosh, and I did not expect, uh, the story to go on the arc it took. And, um, I look at that and think I would have done what she did, which is, you know, you get a settlement, you're alone, you're kind of searching for meaning at that point and spending money would be a really easy thing to do. Right. Uh, and grief would cause you to react in many different ways that probably aren't healthy. And I don't, I, gosh, I would imagine I'd do much of the same things had I been in that. But boy, when she came out of that, thanks to, I think it was her brother that said, hey, we got to get your passion back. Um, man, she, she stepped on a rocket ship and took off. You know, the classic story of maxing out all your credit cards and like, like things that you really shouldn't do, but so many people do to kind mm-hmm. of leverage the reach right. where they want to go. Um, yeah, she, she took on a lot. Now she still does so much and to build community and very, I mean, she's involved with, I think like three or four different nonprofits and she's on boards and uh, you know, I went through a time, I think 
when I realized I was a crappy local citizen, I started to get much more engaged and I probably volunteered too much. And I'm not saying that she volunteers too much, but she's involved with a lot, deciding what to be part of. And I really found it interesting as someone, I, you know, I'm involved with a, a writing workshop I'm on the board of, and I'm, in, you know, involved with the facing project and um, how she decides like what to, mm-hmm. what to get engaged in on that level. Um, what to give time for. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with her experience, yeah. So, you know, you're involved on several different boards, including the Facing Project, which I may have just, like, roped you to be on the board of. Um, But what did you think of what she had to say about the decision process of when to get engaged with the board or when to volunteer on that level? Yeah, you know, it is an interesting thing. Of course, Kelsey, we're, as as you you and I know, we're in a small town and people get, uh, people tend to get asked a lot if you're part of a group that, that um, is seen as someone who does that sort of thing. That network is not very big, so you get asked a lot. And um, um, I, I I like doing it. I think it's important to do. Um, but it does get to be something that you have to say no to sometimes. Um, and I don't know. We didn't talk in depth with her about um, you know how often she does say no. The other side of that, but she had a lot of energy towards go for it. You know, be part of it. Um, uh, put your name in. Um, I think at one point she said, you know, get coffee with the CEO. You know, she was very energetic towards putting herself out there. And I think that involves that sort of volunteering as well. Yeah. You know, I think that sometimes people join what, what I'm, I think what I'm against and it's not anything that she talked about, but is when people join boards for the resume, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that there needs to be some type of, a connection that you have to I mean, giving we give to connect with the world right and so being on the board is a big responsibility and mm-hmm. you know I, I've definitely seen with different organizations that I've been associated with through the years or have come in contact with that sometimes you have you have people that are there because they're they just bleed this issue this topic what the, the mission of that organization is and, right. and sometimes people are there because of uh, of a resume builder mm-hmm. but i definitely got the sense that heidi was someone that was always there because it was a passion for her yeah i you know it's it's funny you said that when you were speaking i was thinking i could envision envision those meetings with her i'm sure she's in full force. Let's get this thing going. Let's grow it. Let's make it successful. Um, she just has that sort of energy to her. Uh, yeah. And I think you're right. I think sometimes, you know, like corporate boards actually get paid, right? They get, they make a lot of money sitting on multiple boards to give advice to sage advice to corporations who are trying to grow. Um, and while that doesn't happen in the volunteer world, you know, the pay is the resume if you think about it that way, but if you think about it the right way, it's, the outcome of the, you know, the board's work, which is more important. Um, And uh, see, I liked her energy about it, her philosophy there. And um, she must be fun to serve with. Yeah. She's, um, she was so optimistic, Um, which when I first read her bio, I I wasn't sure. Right. Like, you know, go through some of these experiences and, and um, and I think this optimism comes from the place of she wakes up every morning and has a purpose and as she mentions in her ted talk like she it's looking outward it's like stopping to look at yourself and and look at others and how can you be part of their lives and helping people Mm -hmm. and 
And I think that energy comes from that she's involved with so many different causes and it's really yeah. inspiring. And, and I think like uh, challenging and that's why I constantly come across when we're, we're doing this work is like, how do you, how do you do this? How do you exist? How can you be part of so many different organizations? And then like, Oh, I'm going to start a, a organization now that helps young women figure out their paths in life. So I know, especially with everything going on. And I, I said no to something last month that was a pretty big volunteer role. And I just had to say, no, I knew I couldn't do it. I'm traveling too much. There's too many things going on in the next six months. And, at some level, you got to think, you know, maybe she's a superwoman. She can get through and manage all those different uh, things. But there were a couple other things she said in that light that I thought were interesting. Um, you know, you asked her for advice or, or, and, and she phrased some things back that I wrote down, which was um, like she said, experiment, try things, do something new. She said, don't, don't take it so seriously. Right. So lighten up, do something you haven't done before and, and enjoy it, which mm-hmm. You know, sometimes when you volunteer for stuff, you think, oh, gosh, it's, you know, cancer, for example. We were talking about that earlier. Huh, that's a heavy subject. There's a lot to do there. It's a very important thing. Uh, but if you say, gosh, I have the opportunity to yeah. take this, right, it, it, turning your mindset a little bit, I have to tell myself that sometimes because, you know, it's Wednesday afternoon and you got to go to a meeting and that's outside of work. And so you got to go over and do that meeting and then you got to go back to work and you can let that be heavy. But, you know don't take it so seriously work on something because it's fun. Um, and the other one I liked so much was her, she phrased, she said, aim for the ditch. In other words, you are going to take on something, go at it fully. Yeah. What, what, what a great thing to have a volunteer organization, which is, we know is often tough to run because they are volunteers. Um, aim for the ditch. If you could have a group of people with that philosophy, boy, there'd be a lot of, uh, um, volunteer work and charitable organizations that would be outstanding. And then to see what she's accomplished and then to see that she admits to, she's like, sometimes I'm a good CEO and I'm a bad, I'm a bad mom. Sometimes I'm a bad volunteer and sometimes I'm a, you know, good yeah. this. And just like, it gives me hope to see that she struggles in that way too, of finding the balance. Right. It's right. a worthy pursuit. And she's still over time succeeds in in those areas and and makes right yeah yeah certainly something for people to learn from i'm glad we uh, got the chance to speak to her well i I think you'll succeed over time jay and you'll make a difference as well it's gonna it's gonna take it's gonna take a long time but i'm doing my best keep going buddy thanks kelsey thanks for listening to the good people podcast special thanks to my friend jay mormon for co-hosting and to Cliff Ritchie for the great tunes. You can listen to Cliff on Spotify or find him at cliffritcheyart.com. Let's keep the good going. Please share, rate, and subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Visit kelseytimmerman.com slash goodpeople to find show notes, suggest guests, learn more about my books, and tell us about the good you are doing in the world.